Now, we're going to dissect that thing through the scriptures. We want to look at it biblically so you can see that definition. And, in, and our hope is, that's what we've been praying for, is that when we do this, then when you open your Bible, you'll see this definition come alive to you. That's the whole idea. Because we had, there's, there's a P word that we used last week, but that kingdom became. So we want to define this so that P word we used about last week will then become a very viable, a real thing that now starts setting the course of our, we set the course of our life. Who remembers what that P word was? Participate. Oh no, prepare. <laughs> No, no, good. That's a good call. That that was the word we used with a P. So hey, somebody. <laughs> I can just name them all if you want. All the <laughs> P U. Purpose. There we go. Purpose. Yes, he was paying attention. At least got one guy paid attention last week. <laughs> Purpose. The, what, what is so interesting, we were, we were talking last week, and, you know, we all have these purposes in our lives. We have these things that come to this, come to this, fellas. And so we design our lives around all these things that have to happen. And so many times we have something where, where this is our purpose, this is what we're going to go do. And then something gets in the way, and we got to go do this now, we got to do that. And it gets in the way of our purpose. And all this stuff keeps getting in the way, and, and it just starts getting frustrating. And so in, in real life, we have many purposes. We, we really do. But, biblically speaking, the plan of God, there's one purpose. And it's from this one purpose is why we're here on this planet. It's all about this, this one thing. The purpose is the kingdom of God. And really what it's all about now, think about Matthew 25, 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So now, what we learned was, what is our, what's the whole purpose of here, us being here on the planet? Who can remember? From that verse, it tells you. What's the whole purpose of us being on this planet? Right from that verse. We get the whole purpose of God, what he's doing. Who's going to get to the kingdom? Who's going to inherit that kingdom? That kind of really shrinks down all the busyness of our lives into one simple little thing. Who's going to the kingdom? Are you going to be one of them or not? There's only two types of people in this world. There were those on his right, he says in Matthew 25, 34, who are going to inherit that kingdom. There are those on his left who are not. The goats. The goats. The goats. Okay, so that's really what life is all about, and that's why we're here. God has a kingdom prepared in the future that he wants to populate with people. So that's where I want to start. A people... Willingly surrendered. I want to take just that concept of a people. Who are the people who are going to inherit that kingdom? That's the question that every single person better know. Even those who aren't going to inherit it better know what that is. <laughs> it's plain foolishness not to. Because if God created us and he created this world... And he has this kingdom we're going to. And that kingdom he talks all about, that's where we're going to. Then by all means, we better know who's going there. How is it that you get there? Okay? Now, does anybody remember Luke 12, 32? Beautiful, beautiful verse. You need to really catch this. I want you to go ahead and look at that because you need to see this verse. This is so beautiful. Luke 12, 32. 
Jesus is speaking, and he, he mentioned something about his father. Something about his father that is just the coolest thing going when we're talking about the kingdom. Someone want to read that verse for me? Don't everybody do it at once. <laughs> I can read it. All right. 1232? 1232. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Wow. Now we think the kingdom might be intimidating and such to us, you know, and, and usually we're talking about that's a word that usually just sits on a theological bookshelf. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't have meaning to us. And if it doesn't have meaning, it doesn't have substance. And if it doesn't have substance, then it doesn't mean anything to us. And what, how do I live for that? Doesn't, doesn't do anything for me. And yet, here we see that it gives the Father great pleasure to give us the kingdom. Now, if you were to stop for a moment and wonder, okay, what is it that's going to just, just give God, this is, just incite Him to this great joy? Well, now you know. To give someone His kingdom, that's what gives God the greatest pleasure going is to give someone his kingdom. Once again, you see the significance that keeps coming out of this about the kingdom. It is amazing. Now, so who are these people? We need to take a look at that. Let's look at Revelation chapter 1. Okay, Revelation chapter 1. Let's take a look at the first thing we get to see about these people. It's quite interesting. Verse 6. So, can I get someone to read verse 6? One six. One six. And has made us to be a kingdom and priest, priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Okay, now what do you learn right off the bat here about the kingdom that he is building? That he's making? What is it that's going to these people? What are they going to be? And what are they going to do? Wow. So right off the bat, we learn that this kingdom is going to be filled with priests. That's who's going. Now, too often we think of, you know, we got, we got this, this thinking that, well, this guy's been to seminary, so he's got a doctorate degree, or he's gone on with it, or he's got a lot of education, so I look at him as a priest. That's not what God says here. If you want to be in his kingdom, you've got to be a priest. That goes to every single one of us. Every single one of us, God expects us to be a priest. What do you mean by priest? Good question. Let's define it. Thank you. The Greek word priest, uh, it became a metaphor by the New Testament church. It's just, it really has this great meaning to it. I love it. The New Testament church, when they heard the word priest, this is what they thought of immediately. Those who are purified by the blood of Christ, you need to write this down. Because you need to catch this. That was so many years ago. Never enters into our dialogue today. It's a people purified by the blood of Christ. Brought into intimate fellowship with God. And devote their life to him alone. That was how the New Testament church defined the word priest. I only got the Let me do it again. Those purified by the blood of Christ. Brought into an intimate fellowship with God and devote their life to Him alone. Now that's how the early church defined the word priest. Wow. 
you know, we really hardly would need anything else. That's what it's all about in how'd God's get, kingdom. How do yeah. get to the version of priest that we have nowadays then? Yeah, I don't know where that came in. I mean, I, I've seen it in church history. When you read the history, you see it. But, yeah, it's quite amazing because that was the metaphor they came up with to define the word priest. It's quite amazing. Now, that's who you and I have to be. Yeah. Their definition of priest kind of sounds like uh, the definition of kingdom. Well, I mean, a little, what is little, he making? That's a great... Priest, but it's, it's really similar. It's exactly because, look, at it, he's made us to be a kingdom. And what's he call it? Priest. And that is it. See, when I, when I drew up this definition, it's just taken from the Bible. That's all it is. Just take all the stuff he says about it, about the kingdom, everywhere from Genesis to Revelation. Take them all out, put them all there, stack them all together, everything he says about it, and then start looking at it all and go, wow. He says this over and 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 over again, what that kingdom is. It's got tremendous substance to it. My goodness. It's amazing. But that's a good call. That's exactly right. Um, so that's first thing we catch right there. It's that people, these people are a people that are priests. So now think of yourself that way. That puts a tremendous responsibility, a challenge, and what an amazing concept that you get, that God gives to you. You get to be a priest. A priest before God to serve Him. This, you're, you're not, when you, when you want to become a kingdom member, you're not joining some little hole-in-the-wall joint place over here. <laughs> My goodness, you get to be a priest serving God is what you get to do. When you wake up in the morning and you're thinking that way, that changes how you're going to act that day. It changes what you're going to do. It changes your purpose for living. But let's look at another one. There's another one. Zoom by me. Look at Matthew. See who else is going into this kingdom. Matthew uh, chapter 5. Josh, you know, I'm just going to ask you to quote it for me, okay, without even looking. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Go, Josh. All right, all these. Say it again. Okay, now wait a minute. Now, how do they get the kingdom? How do these people, this a people, how do they get the kingdom? One more time. Poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. They become poor in spirit. That's right on the Bible. I'm not having to make any of this stuff up. I'm, I don't have to add anything to this. It's This is how someone gets into the kingdom. Become poor in spirit. Well then, wow, we better know what poor in spirit is all about. I would say what that what that would mean. I mean, man, poor in spirit. That's, that's, quite, a, that's quite a challenge. It's the people who recognize their true worth value to God in terms of getting the kingdom. They don't have any value. There's nothing about us that warrants him giving it to us. And yet here's God wanting, having great joy to give it to us, but there's nothing about us that warrants us giving this magnificent kingdom to. But that's who he chose. All they got to do is recognize that. If they understand how really bad they are, what I'm looking forward to give it to. Now, let me ask you a question. I'm going to throw a question out here. I want to see if you can discuss it for a moment, see if you can figure it out. What's the difference between a person recognizing they're a sinner and a person recognizing they're a poor in spirit? A person recognizing they're a sinner 
or recognizing they're poor in spirit. There's a monster difference between the two. Recognizing that you're poor in spirit is like recognizing that you're incapable of, uh, well, capable of changing your situation. Of changing, hey, Cole, good, mm -hmm. of changing the situation. What's the situation? Foreign spirit's more of an attitude. Okay, there's an attitude there. And what is define the attitude? It's it's the attitude of basically basically humility and knowing that your wretchedness is so great and you can't do it yourself, but you need God God's help. Like the example of the tax collector who falls on his knees. Can can you guys all hear that down there? Sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was just talking about the example of the tax collector who couldn't even lift his face towards heaven because he realized and he recognized uh, his utter depravity, I think, just as a human. Sorry. <laughs> Who else got anything to add to that? Or in spirit. Well, you could recognize that you're a sinner and not be humbled by it. Okay. So they're they're different that. What is that? What do you mean? Give me an example. Well, you know, like the traditional, we're all gonna party in hell. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, you're saying, yeah, we're sinners, we're gonna hell. Who cares? You know, that's not the same attitude as being poor in spirit, though. Poor in spirit is an attitude that you recognize that you're a sinner and you're broken by it. And you're broken by it. I like that because we're gonna see that in a second. Um, there's a word that's associated with this in its definition of poor in spirit. It's a word called bankrupt. You're bankrupt. And what Cole was saying, you are bankrupt in what anything being able to offer to God, to give to God. See, I don't have anything. I am totally bankrupt in terms of doing a swap out with God to get his kingdom, to get any favor out of him. I don't have that. I don't have that within me. See, the, the concept of being poor in spirit that has to do with the transgression, not the sin. Transgression is who you are. That's the breach that you that God says. That means the breach of he gave you something he wanted you to do, which he wanted you to represent his image in the world. And you breached it. See, that's what Adam and Eve did. They breached that image of God. And then when they breached that image of God by how they thought and what they wanted... Then what happens is the natural offspring, and I'm using that word offspring of someone who is breached in their transgression, that's who they are, the natural offspring of that is sin. Take a look at James chapter 1. I want you to catch this. This is really important because this is where you begin to see the concept of poor in spirit. Okay? We'll start verse 14. But each one is tempted... Okay, he's tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. How many fishermen do we have here in this group? I know we got one. We got one real fisherman. But yeah, people like to fish, yeah. Well, if you've used lures, this is this whole concept. You throw a lure out in the water, and what are you trying to do to a fish? Catch it. Trick it. 
Entice it. Entice it. There we go. You're enticing it. So look at this and go, what is that dumb thing that's irritating me? So look at it. It's going around like this. And so finally you get him enticed so much, what does he do? He grabs it. Bites it. That's the idea when you're fishing with a lure. You're, you're enticing him. That's exactly what the word means. See, when you're, each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by what? His own lust. Oh, his own lust. Not that out there. By his own lust. You start to see the poor in spirit concept? We're not talking sin yet. We're talking about what's inside of you. Now keep going. Then, when lust has conceived, when lust conceives, when lust gives birth, what's it give birth to? Sin. Look, it gives birth to sin. It gives birth to sin. The, the lust that's in there gives birth to sin. And then when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Let's go back to Adam and Eve. What happened to them? See, we only, we only, in our brains, we don't go far enough. We look at that story and just say, oh man, look what they did. They did the sin. They had an action. They ate. That's an action. What took place before they acted? The enticing. That's exactly right. And who was doing the enticing in this case? Satan did, right? And then where did, and then inside of them is what you see took place. They lusted to be like God. You see, they wanted to be like God. What is lusting? Lusting is desiring something that is not right. Very simple definition. Desiring something not right. And see, that's what Satan did. Is he, he, he stirred them. He did just like what we do fishing. He's throwing this lure out there. You know, and enticing them, and then sure enough, it got their got them to lust. They never lust. They're perfectly pure people. They couldn't even imagine doing something wrong because they didn't have anything within them to do something wrong. Until the enticement drew their lust out to be like God, and God says, "No, I didn't create you to be like me. You're going to represent me with your image, but you are never going to be God." And what is Satan tempting him with? To be like God. You get to be like God, and God knows that, and he doesn't want you. He's scared you're going to be like him, and he doesn't want to be. What was sin's, I mean, what was Satan's big deal that he did? What did he do? Exact same thing. He wanted to be like God. You see, that's where it begins. That's the poor in spirit. It's where all of this begins. It's who I am inside of me, essentially. Poor in spirit is the lousy person I am inside of me as a result of that transgression, that breach of trust, that we threw away that perfect image of God, which then automatically just gives birth to sin. Is there anybody here not a sinner? Well, let's do it this way. Raise your hand if you're a sinner, if you commit sin. Okay? You know what that means? You are a horrible transgressor. You're, you are completely broken. You're unfixable in terms of you have, cannot do anything to warrant the kingdom. That's poor in spirit. See, it's way beyond sinning. It's who you are. And it goes against the grain of everything society tells us today. You're good. You're good. You're good. You're good. God says, no, you're not. You are not good. You are not good. In fact, he tells us in Jeremiah 17.9. What's he tell us about Jeremiah 17.9? 
You guys know what he says about us? About the human heart? Just follow your heart. <laughs> it's desperately wicked. Desperately wicked. It means, that word desperate means it's insanely wicked. Insanely wicked. And that's what God says our heart is. Whoa. Whoa. So now you see the dilemma with Jesus and God talking about who we're going to give the kingdom to. Who are we gonna give? Man, we got a real problem down here. How about those who are poor in spirit? That's the one. That's the one who's going to get my kingdom. Who recognizes that's who they are. Wow. And it gives the Father great joy for us to recognize who we are and he'll give us his kingdom. That's his own words. That's the words of Jesus. He'll give us the kingdom if we do that. Now, why do you think he's more concerned with us in that regard of how we think about who we are as opposed to what we do, sin? Why do you think he's so that's so important to him that that's who he's going to give the person the kingdom to as a person who is poor in spirit? Why do you think that's so important to him? Now, I'm going to give you a little grace here. Everybody that's been in my classes should be able to answer this question because the next several verses are so vital to that answer. See if you can pull that out of your memory well, hat. who you are results in what you do. It does. And what's the next one on the list? Oh, those who mourn. Those who mourn. See, what do you get if you mourn? What's the next one? Josh, take it away again. Mm-hmm. They shall be comforted. What's the word comforted mean? I mean, we're putting out a lot of money here on this place, and if somebody wanted to come up and write us a $75,000 check, Derek, would you be comforted? That'd be comforting. That'd be comforting, wouldn't it? <laughs> That's not the word comfort here. <laughs> That's not what he's talking about here. What is this word, comforted? To like be at peace, or to feel peace. That'll be a net result of what, what that word means. But that's a great concept, but it's, it's, it's a result of what this word means. This is the, about him sending his helper. Yes, 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 yes. Spirit. Remember Jesus? didn't hear that. <laughs> Sorry. It's Hannah again. We're going to give her a microphone. <laughs> I said it has to do with um, him, him sending his helper, the Holy Spirit. You see, back in John 14, 15, 16, you see Jesus talking to his disciples. He's getting ready. He's been right there to go, ready to depart and go to the cross. And so he's having this long conversation with them. And in that conversation, there's so many beautiful truths coming out of it. One of them is, he says, and when I leave, I'm going to give you another helper. You know what that word helper is? That's the comforter. <laughs> That's the paracletos. And there's there's the paracletos, it's the noun, the paracleta is the verb, and this is the verb of the paracletos. This is the action of the Holy Spirit giving us comfort. Why, why would the Holy Spirit be comforting? Ah, man. See? <laughs> See why we always love Tim in our class? Was it, you can answer it? No, did you pay him? Oh, no. I just, you know, we learned. He just would constantly pop up with these questions. And I always had to be on my feet because he's asking me these questions. Like, whoa, i got to answer that now. <laughs> now, ask that again. Everybody's got it? Why would the Holy Spirit 
why, why is he called comforter and why would he be comforting? And you notice it's his comfort. See, this is a comfort that is solely the result of the Holy Spirit. See, and now peace is absolutely going to be the net result of it. But see, this comfort the Holy Spirit brings, he's bringing something that's really beautiful that he's already mentioned. What did he give us, the people that are poor in spirit, right before this? How does that come to us? Do you have a new, you know, when I became a Christian, did he send down, I got this beautiful castle, kingdom, in my backyard? I did. Did you get one? Yeah. <laughs> Man, I missed that. I got to go back and do this over again. <laughs> what? You know, yeah, what do you... <laughs> you see, he gave us his kingdom. How does he give us his kingdom? What is the kingdom in terms of God? It is his reign. His rule, the power, His sovereign, righteous, authority, and power. That's how God rules. Those four attributes always make up God's rules. Whenever He rules, those four attributes are always involved. The sovereign, righteous, authority, and power of God. So now He's giving us that. And when He said He would give us another comforter, the word another means He's giving you one exactly like me. I'm giving you the duplicate of me. I'm giving you the one the same as me. I'm giving you myself. And that meant he's given us the Holy Spirit. You see what the Holy Spirit brings to us? When he gives us the Holy Spirit, what are we getting? The kingdom of God. The most powerful thing in the universe. The sovereignty of God. The righteousness of God. The authority of God. He's giving us that to live inside of us. Question. I was just gonna say, it wouldn't would having the spirit like eliminate being poor in spirit? I say it again. Everybody catch what he said? I'll say I'll yeah. say it again. Uh, would would the holy would having the Holy Spirit eliminate being poor in spirit? What do you think? Would it eliminate it? No, it needs Why to not? be a continuous attitude. Which, which needs to be continuous? The born spirit. Okay. That's great question. Leads me again. I thought I was like these really good questions. Lead me right into another verse. Flip over to 2 Corinthians. Let's just go there because that is, you're going to see why that's so important. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Look what Paul says here. This is really quite astounding. Now, I don't know about you, but I think of Paul as one of the greatest Christians who ever lived. What a namesake there, Paul. That's, you know, you're following under it. One of the greatest Christians who's ever lived. I mean, look what he has done. You're a Christian today because of Paul. He took the gospel out away from Jerusalem. Took it out to the Gentile world. It's amazing what he was able to accomplish. But look at, look at what he says. Follow along here. I'm going to jump into verse 12. And speaking of God, he says, And he, God, has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you because Paul was really struggling with some issues. Verse 9. Oh, what did I say? You said 12. Okay, then you are paying attention. <laughs> Good. Okay. <laughs> I throw those in every now and then just to catch you now, so pay attention. Good. So God has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected. The word perfected means comes to its full fruition. So power comes to its fullness in weakness. 
And the weakness he's referring to is Paul. As ours. Your poor in spirit attitude. Now keep going. Most gladly, therefore, I'll rather boast about my weakness. So that the power of Christ may dwell in me. In me. Therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses and persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So Paul's in Corinth. He's just birthing that church, spending so much time there and just growing them and all this time with them. And just think of Paul coming into your church. Wow. Wouldn't that be great? We got some long meetings, though. I mean, they they go on all day until somebody goes to sleep and fall out of a upper room somewhere. But I mean, he just didn't have any mercy, man. He preached forever. But here's Paul, and everybody wanted to come see him. So he says, "I was with you in weakness." You know what the word that word weakness actually means? Incapable of doing what God wants. You know what's another way of saying that? Corn spirit. You see that? Paul, when he went to Corinth, he tells them. He says, I better boast about my weakness. He says, I was with you in weakness. But not just weakness. Look at the next one. And in fear. Scared to death. Paul, a missionary, he's scared to death. He looked so confident. No, no. Paul realized he could not accomplish and do what God wanted him to do. So, that's what weakness is. That's what poor in spirit is. So can we lose that? Never. Because see, when you're weak, God says, that's what I'm going to make you strong. So the moment you step away from that weakness, that poor in spirit attitude, you've just lost then the power of God. And look how he finishes this. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. That's the key to it all. So Paul is sitting there saying, I, I am totally incapable of doing what God wants. Now, I, you know, he'd probably look around and say, I'm perfectly capable of doing all the things you guys want. Yeah, I can meet the, you know, I can do the things that a fellow Christians want. Their expectations aren't anywhere near what God wants. But see, he's realizing who he has to please and who he has to serve and who is making the demands on his life and who's calling. Because see, he's a priest. He's given up his life to then serve God. So now, yeah. What does poor in spirit look like in an everyday life then? Okay. You're doing all of this from the Bible, but what does it look like, like when we go tomorrow and we're living tomorrow? I'm, I'm going to address that. You're, you're leading me right in. You're a half a second too early. Perfect. I know it. You, you, you owe it to me. No. <laughs> Um, but this word trembling is such a beautiful thing to catch with fear. Then weakness creates this fear in Paul, scared to death to go. And the word trembling, it means you are so scared to death. Yeah, you're trembling. But guess what? Your attitude is, I get up and go do it anyway. That's what the word trembling means. Paul realized he was totally incapable of doing what God wanted from him. It scared him to death, but he also knew who was inside of him. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God, the sovereign, righteous authority and power of God that gave him 
to live inside of him. So though he could do nothing, poor in spirit, he gets up and goes and does it anyway. Now, what we've been talking about, that's the attitude of a people in the kingdom. That's an attitude of them. And before we go to do what, what Joanne had asked, because that's, I actually got that in a question here. That's where we're going. We think alike. We must have been married a few years. <laughs> so now, I want you to realize this is, this is not something new. This is how God has always been with his people. Look at Psalm 51. What is Psalm 51 about? Anybody know? David. No, that's like saying Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> what, what's it about? Excellent. Excellent. That's exactly right. This is David's response to God after being caught and God confronting him with his sin of Bathsheba, the adulterous affair with his, and then killing her husband having your husband killed. And so God really gets on him through the prophet Nathan. And then this is David's response in prayer in song that he writes. And there's a verse that, you know, when, when you're David, he's been king a while now, and people just think he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. He is just the greatest guy on the planet and everything. And so he's probably getting his head full of himself a little bit, isn't he? But now he's been caught. And now the reality now the poor in spirit thing is starting to manifest itself in him. Look what he says here. The sacrifices of God. No, let's go to 16. For you do not delight in sacrifice. Otherwise, I'd give it. See, he knew he was beyond. What he had done was beyond anything, any sacrifice he could give. He was caught cold turkey with this and had nothing to offer. Poor in spirit. He had nothing to offer. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. You see, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, it's never changed. That's what God wants out of his people. Is that broken in spirit person that recognizes that, that contriteness, that brokenness. And that brokenness means you're in pieces. And that's the attitude that God wants and look what David did look what Paul did but it flowed out of that attitude when it wasn't that attitude look what David did when he when he left that poor in spirit attitude it did him no favors but his poor in spirit he understood and that's what God recognized now to answer Joanne's question because that's a really good question what does being poor in spirit look like what it look like tomorrow morning when you get up and you say, okay, let's think about what we what we learned. I'm going to be in a kingdom. I'm going to be a priest. God is making a kingdom of priests. I'm a priest that's going to serve God. But as a, as a people, I've got to be poor in spirit, broken, contrite. That's what I've got to be. So now what's that look like then as you go through your day? Give me some attitudes. Give me some things that you see that, that would then create how you're going to deal with your day, whatever it may be. You guys are going to be in trouble tomorrow. <laughs> when that guy cut you off on the freeway? 
How does that apply? Well, I guess then I could uh, figure out that I'm not capable of not wanting to tell him off. <laughs> <laughs> because I would want to tell him off. But I don't know. Right? Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on. Can, can you guys see Grammy? No. No. <laughs> Just tell him to flip him off. You know, tell him. <laughs> oh, I know. Can you see it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You better you're stretching that a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear you say that. Out. <laughs> <laughs> Anna wants to hear you say that. Hannah, hang around me for a while. I'll give you. I'll give her a reason to say that. <laughs> <laughs> more, more to the point. Let's say you and I are arguing. See, I told you. <laughs> See, we've had this discussion over that very thing. You know, the, the, the reasons when couples fight, I can tell you this, the reason couples fight is because they step out of the realm of being poor in spirit. That's why they fight. Because, see, when you're poor in spirit, you recognize you don't have any rights. I'm incapable of doing what God wants me to do. When we fight, I'm sitting there going, well, she's being rude. Why is she treating me like that? What was that? You know, she's only treating you know, what you deserve. <laughs> that's what porn spirit is. <laughs> See, that that takes it to a whole other level. So you're what? Go ahead, Gil. Uh, well, what would be the difference between uh, being porn spirit towards your wife versus being porn spirit towards God? Because if you're yeah. porn spirit towards your wife, God does. I mean. Who cares? <laughs> 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 Who's recording that? Who's recording that? Somebody's recording that. Oh boy. Well, with all honesty, it's not good because a few minutes later, you're probably not going to be. Now, you are right. I, I, we're <laughs> laughing at what he said. That about myself, too, not just towards Grampy. <laughs> we're, we're, <laughs> <laughs> good question. You're still back at zero. <laughs> <laughs> we're at one. We're back to Psalm 51 because what he said is a mouthful of biblical truth of kingdom truth of poor in spirit truth Psalm 51 you there again you still there look at now you think about what David did okay he sees this beautiful lady she's been married less than a year sees her taking a bath up there on her roof and he's looking down from his palace and he's you know he's kingly he is the king. He's rule. He's ruling everything. He goes, that lady right there, I want her. Well, when you're the king of his stature, guess what? You get what you want. So they bring her, Bathsheba, up to him. She gets pregnant. And then he, you know, to cover his sin, then he has her husband killed. Because first he brings him home. You know the story. He brings him home. That didn't work. He wouldn't do it. He's supposed to be a war. So he doesn't. So now they're caught. So then he has them killed. So now he's committed adultery, very much tried to hide it. And then he has them killed. That's a whole lot of sin going on here, isn't it? Look what he says in Psalm 51. Against you, and you, verse uh, 4, against you and you only 
talking to God, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're justified when you speak and blameless when you judge me. You see, sin isn't against us. We don't have a right. What am I? I didn't make the laws. I'm not the holy one that created everything. I'm not the holy one that decided everything. It's not against me. No sin is against me. And that's why when when Joanne, you know, when we get we step out of the realm of being poor in spirit, then we get ourselves wide open to, wow, look what you've done to me. And we take great offense at that. And look at David. Can he do anything worse? And he says, but God, it was against you and you only that I sinned against. Wow. See, that's poor in spirit. And he recognized it. He went back to that. He caught it again. And here's the, the thing. What did Here's some of the trees we were talking about. Luke 4.43. The trees. What was Jesus doing everywhere he went? Talking about the kingdom. Everywhere he went. What's he doing right now? When he's talking about the Beatitudes. And going to do the Sermon on the Mount. What's he really talking about? Kingdom. That's it. Everywhere he went. The whole thing is about the kingdom. Everywhere he went. And so, see, he establishes right off the bat, if you want to be in my kingdom, you've got to get rid of your pompous attitudes. You've got to be poor in spirit. Because it's the only way you can serve me properly. Because when we get arrogant, we take on way too much respect and admiration. I have a really good friend of mine. I won't give his names, but he's just a, he's a dear, dear guy. And um, I've known him for years and years and years. And he come from a horrible background. You know, he's got a really bad background. All those guys are just, just really a lousy background. Couldn't be any worse. And um, we just became great friends and talked all the time. And, and and I just noticed every time I got with him, he just did nothing but demean himself. Just put himself down and just get just start down here. I go, wow. I says, do you do that every time you talk to anybody? He says, oh, yeah, yeah. I says, because I found that the moment I lift myself up and get myself up and I keep going up, the farther I get, the longer the journey is on a fall down. But see, when I have myself on the ground all the time, I got nowhere to fall. <laughs> he says, so if you come along and look at me and go, man, what the world is he doing? What, idiot? Well, I agree. <laughs> I agree. He's got nowhere to fall. But see, when you're up here and people are just elevating you and looking at, oh, it's scary to fall off of that pedestal. You see, because you're not poor in spirit. But see, what he was doing was practicing being poor in spirit. And that's the attitude Jesus wants, because see, when we're weak, when we're incapable, we don't have the ability and recognize it. That's the person in his kingdom that he wants that's, the, that's who's going to be in his future kingdom. That's the person who's going to inherit his kingdom. And that's the person that he's going to support and give his power to. Wow. That's a whole different view of Christianity. Is that attitude. But that's the kingdom life. That's what God is, is, wants to do with us. 